0: Well, a few weeks ago in our prayer meeting before service, we meet at 9 o'clock, you're all invited in the, the band room here, I began our prayer meeting by reading from Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, I made a few comments in the text and uh, something happened. I, I don't know, can't quite describe it. There was really a spirit that swept across us all. I heard several who were there kind of say, wow, that, that was a... Um, Kind of a different time. That was a good time. It was a very profitable time. And, and it was as if we all began to see the realities of life on earth for what it is. As if heaven opened and we got a, a glimpse of what, what um, glory is like. And prayers and things were shared that were appropriate to that end. And since that time, I've been thinking upon this prayer that Paul offered in Ephesians 1 and how critical, really, it is to our lives And I thought about getting back to Hebrews this morning. Um, We're in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 through 28, but that's going to wait till next week. Just this morning I have a, a burden from Ephesians 1. So, if you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, really the whole chapter, but I want to start midway through the chapter. And by way of context, we'll pick up the first part of it at the end. Paul's writing to the Ephesian believers, and he says in Ephesians 1, verse 15, he says, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling and what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He has put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him as head over all things, to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy and that not of yourselves, it is a gift, uh, is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we would walk in them. And I'm not sure even where to stop, because he just continues on. He says, therefore, remember that you were formerly this way. And he continues then on in chapter 3, verse 1, for this reason, just like chapter 1, verse 15, for this reason, I'm, I'm praying for you. And then he interrupts. And then finally, verse 14, for this reason, I'm bowing my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And then the great doxology, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever well there's really paul's prayer i'm not quite sure where it totally stops and i know where it starts but i'm not sure where it stops it just continues on but this prayer particularly at the end of chapter 1 is a prayer for spiritual encouragement is what it is it's a prayer for spiritual i'm sorry enlightenment encourage this too, but it's a prayer for spiritual enlightenment. Right there in verse 17 is the crux of the prayer. Here's the, here's the crux of it, the heart of it. it all boiled down to one simple Satan. He says, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Everything else... This passage, Ephesians 1, supports verse 17 in one way or another. Verses before this provide the context and the verses after this elaborate on this prayer, giving more of the details. And and when I come across verses like this in my Scripture reading or Bible study, I like to draw boxes around such verses. If you write in your Bibles, I encourage you to do that. You can even draw a box right here around verse 17 that it, that it might pop off the page for you because that's the core of what he's praying. He's praying that God may give to you, particularly Ephesians, but we may apply it to us. Paul's praying that God may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Basically, it's a prayer that we might know God better. It doesn't say it exactly that way. Paul doesn't say, I pray that you might know God better. Instead, he prays that God would give us insight into knowing Him. And, and whenever you, you look at Scripture, always ask yourself, not only was it saying, but ask yourself another question. Why is it saying it this way? It's a good question to ask. Why didn't Paul just say, I want you to know God better? Why did he pray? I pray that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Him. I think, in one sense, He's directing your attention upon God's grace. We have a need. We have a need that God would reveal Himself to us. But if if you'd have just prayed, I pray that you'd know God better, we might get to work on answering that prayer. Young men and women who are dating and thinking about marriage and courtship or whatever, they start spending a lot of time together so they have to start knowing each other. They can do something about that. Husbands and wives know each other well because of the time they spent with each other. Eighteen years ago today, Avon and I were married. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Thank you. I hope for another... And my folks have been married for 51 years. Right? Going to be 51. Right? Already been 51. June 21st, right? Okay, good. We know each other a lot better today than we knew each other 18 years ago. Just how it is. If you would have prayed, I pray that you know God better, I think we'd have been stirred within us just to read our Bibles more and to pray more. But it's interesting how he, he says this. He says it in such a way, and all those things are good. It's good to read your Bible. It's good to pray. It's good to seek the Lord. I would encourage you to do that. Seek Him on your knees. Pray and fast. And, and it's whatever you can do to know Him. Just seek to know Him. But... What's interesting here is that Paul's prayer compels us to see our need in obtaining the knowledge of God. To know God, we need Him to give us insight. Because knowing God isn't merely about information. It's not about being a Bible scholar. There are plenty of Bible scholars who don't know God and are far from God. But to know God better, we need God's help. We need Him to reveal Himself. And that's what verse 17 is talking about. That God, the Father of my glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, is that, that God might give us something, not the Holy Spirit, believers in Christ have the Holy Spirit, but a, a spirit of wisdom, that that just knows about God. That we might have a, a revelation, not a, a new revelation, but a, ne- a revelation in terms of knowing Him more deeply. He's talking about relationship here. And it's really an appropriate prayer for Paul to pray, and it's appropriate prayer for us, to really pray as well because one of the most difficult things of this life, and I trust all of you can attest to this, is to to keep our minds upon the spiritual reality of our salvation. In Colossians 3, Paul encouraged those in Colossae to set your minds on the things above and not on the things of the earth. And, And that's what he's praying here. Set your minds on the things above. May God reveal to you how how we live in the spiritual realm. In fact, even over in Ephesians chapter 6, he speaks about our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the the rulers, against the powers, against the world force of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our, our lives are in many ways lived in a spiritual reality. That's where we fight. But one of the difficult things is that we live here in the flesh. We're practical matters. We have to attend to. Some of them weigh heavy upon us. What's on my schedule tomorrow? What, where are the kids going tomorrow? Because I've got to drive them where they need to be. Why aren't we getting any hot water? You have got to figure that out. When am I going to have time to get to the piles of bills? Do I have time to mow the lawn tomorrow evening? Car needs an oil change. Sun needs a haircut. The gutter needs repairing. Take a trip to the supermarket. We're low on gas in the car. We're going to have enough to sustain us. And this goes on and on and on with these worries and troubles and trials and matters of life. We can't escape them, but but we can keep them in perspective. Because Paul realizes that we are are living here. But he says, may God give you wisdom to know the spiritual realities of what's taking place. In, In many ways, we live in two worlds, don't we? Those of us who believe in Christ, we have a physical world which we live, but really there's this, this other world, this heavenly world, and we, we stand in some sense in the, the gap between these two places. So my message this morning is entitled Between Two Worlds, because I think that's what Paul is, is saying here. You, you've believed. You've embraced Christ. You're loving each other. I, I see that, but I, I'm, I'm going to pray that you, you really understand the, the heavenly realm that you might live rightly. Before I dig into the text, I do want to ask you this question, kind of just before we go. Do you want this? Do you want Ephesians 1.17? Do you want God to give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him? Are, are you longing for this? Or, you know, maybe you've come here this morning and this prayer isn't even on your radar. You're just living all in the flesh, all in the practical, all in this life, and you don't really think about heaven very much. You don't really think about the spiritual realities of your salvation. Do you long for us? I know as a pastor, I long for this. I know how much the the physical realm, daily life, can entangle and snare and weigh down. And I just long for God's To see and understand God and who He is and to know Him deeper. Remember what Paul says? Ephesians chapter 3, is one thing, that I may know Him. That's what I long for. I trust that's what you long for. You might not. I'm not sure about the Ephesians. The Ephesian people are people like you. It's a church, you know, professing church, most believe, but surely there are people in there who, who didn't, who didn't think about things. And I'm sure that they're dealing with much the same issues that you are. And Paul prayed for them. And before we continue and dig in, I just want to pray for us just right now. Let's pray. Lord, I would pray verse 17 for Rock Valley Bible Church. I pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. Lord, I pray you'd open the eyes of our heart to see You in, in greater and greater ways. That We might know the hope that we have in heaven. We might know the, the calling that we have in Christ. We might know your, the greatness of Your power. That Lord, that the things on earth would grow strangely dim in the light of Your glory and power and grace and calling and hope. That we would seek You. I, I pray for the cold heart this morning pray that by Your grace You'd soften it to realize the, the importance of this. And, and really, God, I'm, I'm praying that You would right now come and bring a spirit of wisdom, revelation, the knowledge of You to all of us. <clears throat> <clears throat> for those of us who are walking in the Spirit and loving You this day, spurn us on more. And for those, those of us who are cold and lifeless, I pray You'd wake up Wake us up. Startle us. Show us the glories of, of our salvation. And press us on to You. May our lives reflect that. May we live differently. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, Ephesians 1.15. We just need to start there. Paul begins these words, For this reason. Now, whenever you come across words like that in the Scripture, you need to ask, Okay, for what reason? Was it a reason before... It's because of all this, or is it something after? For this reason, da-da-da-da-da. And I, I do believe that what he's doing is he is looking back. Based upon what he's just said, in the first half of the chapter, he's saying, for this reason, in light of Ephesians 1, 1 through 1-14, in light of the salvation that we have in Christ, that's why I'm praying that you might know this. So, the first three words there, for this reason, really call us back to Ephesians 1. 3-14, to ponder the salvation that God has provided for us. And as we do this, I, I just want you to know that this is going to come fast, okay? It's almost as if um, you, you're going to be standing... Picture Hawaii, right? Mulders, you were there recently. We're the envy of all of us. But picture yourself in Hawaii, standing, you know, whatever waist deep, thigh deep in the water, and, and they're going to come crashing upon you, these waves, okay? And they're just going to come, and they're going to they're come. And you're going to get wet, and then it's going to suck out a little bit, and you're going to be chilled the air with the wind coming. And then it's going to come again, and you're going to get wet, soaked again. That's what Ephesians 1 is like. It's like these waves coming upon you, and they're going to come pretty fast. Uh, I'm not looking really to take any of these and dig really deep into them. I'm just looking just to to read them and explain them and go through... Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14. And I do believe that... I I want God to stir your hearts and to realize the great blessings you have in Christ for those of you who believe. 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. This sets the tone of the whole chapter. God is to be praised and God is to be blessed because He's blessed us with everything that there is to be blessed with in Jesus Christ. I like to say it this way. If there's a blessing to be given, it's been given. If God has something in heavenlies that's there in Christ, it is given to us. There's nothing that God is withholding from us as it relates to our salvation. right? There's not some gift that He's saying, okay, you got to work for this one. It's not something even he's saying, well, I'm going to wait until, whatever. They believed in Christ for three years before I give this. No, everything we have, every blessing that there is to be have is ours in Christ. And in all of Ephesians chapter 1 just explains all these blessings. He begins with the blessing of election. Verse 4, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Here's the great blessing of salvation is that God has chosen us for salvation. He's chosen us to be clean and holy vessels to worship and honor Him. Sanctified in Christ. You notice even there it says He chose us in Him. He He chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Now now know that this, this choosing is not on the basis of deeds which you've done in righteousness. It's not according to the things you've done. It's not according to the choices you've made. It's according to the choice that God made. It's His sovereign choice for our lives. From the foundation of the world is what it says there in verse 4. He has chosen us. Before Jesus came, God chose us. Before David came, God chose us. Before Abraham came, God chose us. Before Noah came, God chose. Before Adam, before the foundation of the world, God chose us, is what verse 4 says. He didn't look down the corridors of time and see those who would choose Him and choose them. That's not God choosing. That's us choosing. But this says that God chose. God chose us in Him before any of us ever came to be. You know, And, and, and there are those, I trust you, Many of you are there. You've experienced this, and you've seen this, and you've grasped the, the huge blessing in your life that this truth is. Many people will will point as a high point, a pinnacle in their life, the day they believed in Christ. Now, some children don't know a day when exactly they believed. They've kind of been there, but they but they know that their path of sin. They know they believed in Jesus. For many adults, they can know the day, know the time, know the experiences, where they just say, "Jesus wasn't real to me then, but Jesus is real to me now." And that's a huge turning point in people's life, but there's a second mountain peak often in people's lives. It's when they see and understand and grasp the glories of God choosing them. It's because it's right here that you realize that God does have a wonderful plan for your life, a plan that began in eternity past before the world was ever created, that God had you on His mind before Genesis 1-1. And in His sovereign pleasure, He said, that one, Steve Brandon, he's going to be born April 4th, 1967. And he's going to grow up. And I'm going to reveal, himself, reveal myself to him. And so he's going to be a holy vessel for me. And then I'm going to bring him into glory so he can be one who's holy and pure and so he can worship me for eternity. That's what God has done for me. That's what God has done for many of you. He's chose you. He's elected you. Sovereignly chose to open your eyes when you're blind, to make you alive when you're dead, to give you understanding when you're unresponsive, to soften your hearts when they were hard, to make us new creatures, and to give us new life, to be born again. And God did that by His sovereign pleasure. Such is the reality for everyone who believes in Christ. There's a wave. And then the, the, the next wave comes here. In love, verse 5, He predestined us to adoption through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. Here we see, again, another side of electing love. It's not just choosing, but it's predestinating. It's planning. God is sovereign over all of time. And He's sovereign over all the affairs of man. And He knew when and where I'd be born. According to Acts chapter 17, God determines the boundaries. God determines the times in which people are born. And he exercises his sovereign will to ensure that those who he chose would be adopted into his kingdom. And that's what takes place when we're saved. And I, I, just, I say this, Paul is praying that you'd understand these things. For this reason, in light of the salvation that he's given, for this reason, I want you to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. We are, it says in verse 5, adopted into his kingdom. J.I. Packer says that this adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. Higher even than justification. You gotta think about that. Chad Packer says that adoption is a higher privilege than justification. Now, by that, he's not saying that justification is in any way less important. Justification in many ways comes first. That's when you believe and God justifies you by his grace. But what, what Packer is getting at here is the blessing of adoption is far greater than justification. I mean, justification deals with forgiveness and and righteous standing before God. And it's one thing to forgive a criminal, as God has done many times over through Jesus Christ, but it's another thing to bring that criminal into your home, adopt him, and give him all the privileges of your children. That's a privilege. Uh, Someday I'm going to preach a sermon on adoption and kind of blow you away by these truths here. But today we're just summary, but... we are children of God, according to 1 John 3, verse 1. In Romans 8, we're called fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. God is kind to bring us into such a relationship. As it says here at the end of verse 5, He adopted us according to the kind intention of His will. <clears throat> There's His grace again. Just coming. His kindness. In verse 6, we see the end. The fruit of God's blessing to us. To the praise that, of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed upon us in the Beloved. And here's the point of God's choosing us and predestinating us and bringing salvation. It's all of grace. See, there's nothing in us that made us worthy of the Gospel. Rather, God, by His grace, brought us into His family. You know, and adoption pictures work really well for this. Think about the child who is living in a dirty orphanage in China someplace. Having... having um, Parents there, whatever, a parents, foster parents who are cruel and mean and loving and dirty. and They're not being cared for. Medical needs are going unmet. Schooling needs are not being taught. And then someone from a wealthy comp- country goes over and chooses a child and takes the child and brings him, into, him or her into a home and raises them with all the blessings of a home. Education, clothes, warmth. Food, medical care. I mean, everything there. That's, that's kind of what, what's talked about here. Is it God freely bestowed these things? He's kind to bring us here. How much better it is to be in the house of God than to be outside? And God has done that by His kindness and the responses that we need to praise the glory of His grace. It's what Ephesians 1 is all about. Such was the intention of our songs this morning, right? Wonderful grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus. It's, it's wonderful. It's greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free, for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. So we sang this morning. I hope you loved singing that song. Chris had leaned over me to that song and said, oh, that would be a good song for the men's quartet. <clears throat> Andy And marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of a lamb was spilt. Such is the end of God's beautiful, bountiful blessings. It's our praise to God for His grace. Well, verse 7, "...in Him, that is in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace." You see that again there. In Jesus Christ, we have redemption. That is, God has bought us out of the slave market of, of slavery and death to sin. God has redeemed us through the blood of Jesus. And the primary way of what redemption is talking about here it defines it as the forgiveness of our trespasses. That says, yes, we have sinned. Yes, we have offended a holy God. But in Jesus, we're forgiven and all those trespasses are gone. They're wiped away. He's bought us and brought us There. We're not forgiven because of works, but we're, we're forgiven according to the riches of His grace. He, he brings us into His kingdom in such a way that we cannot boast in ourselves. That is just His grace. And verse 8 then goes to describe His grace. Here it is. This grace is lavished on us. I mean, let's picture yourself in Hawaii again, right? The, the waters are just coming. It's just lavished upon us, right? It's like a showerhead coming down upon us. Just water just coming. Cleansing. Grace. Kindness. It is just flowing to us. It's grace. He continues on. Verse eight, this speaks about the process of, of how he opens minds. He says, "In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of His will." What that's talking about is it's just, just God making known the glories of the gospel. I'm not sure you realize this, but apart from God's work in your life, you cannot understand the Gospel. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural man is concerned about the natural things. And he says he cannot understand the things of the Spirit because they're spiritually discerned. He's a natural man. He needs God given to the Spirit. And then when he has the Spirit, he then can see with wisdom and revelation, can see the glories of the Gospel of Christ. That's why sometimes you can speak the Gospel to some people and it just doesn't make sense to them. What do you mean He freely gives us forgiveness? That can't be. You say, well, yes it is. No, it can't be. can't understand it. And there's a stumbling block there until God illumines the natural mind to be able to understand these things. But it's God's grace and kindness that, that He broke into your mind to show you the glories of Jesus. Look at verse eight, 9 again. He made to known to us the mystery of His will according to the kind intention which He purposed in Christ. There's God's kind intention upon us is to open our minds to see the glories of Jesus. And, and, and God had a bigger plan here. God's vision was for in every tribe, every tongue, every nation, sort of heaven. With a view, verse 10, to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things upon earth. There he's just talking about bringing everybody together in one big happy family, all together, all administered in Jesus Christ. That people from all over the planet would give him praise for his grace. Well, we continue on verse eleven. In Him, in Jesus, also we have obtained an inheritance. having been predestined according to His purpose, who works all things after the counsel of His will. Here we see the idea of an inheritance mentioned. We've been adopted into God's family, right? And that means we've inherited His kingdom. Several times in the book of Revelation, it speaks about how God has made us to be a kingdom and He's made us to be priests to Him. Revelation 5. Heaven is surrounding Jesus. Worthy are you to open the book and to break its seals because you purchased for God men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. That's speaking about our inheritance we have. We just inherit the world. We inherit the new heavens and the new earth and we will reign and we will be priests. It all happens according to His counsel. He he can predestine things, verse 11, because He's the one that purposes all things after the counsel of His will. He, he decrees it and it comes to pass. He declares, as Isaiah 46.10 says, the end from the beginning. And that's what He's doing here. To the end, the end goal, verse 12, this is of heaven... The end goal that we who are the first into hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. You are saved to worship. You're saved to worship the glory of God for His grace. But it doesn't end there. He keeps going like Ginsu knives. There's another, another offer here. In Him also... After listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, and here he's just describing, okay, you were in Ephesus, you listened to the message, you you heard the gospel preached, you believed. Here's what happens to everyone who believes. It says, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given, this is a key word, as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of His glory. These verses focus upon, really, the Holy Spirit. And upon hearing the Gospel and believing the Gospel, the Holy Spirit is given to every believer. And He is given, as it says, as a a pledge. And this pledge seals us. It's as if He, He keeps us, protects us, guides us, guards us. You put a, a watercoat seal protection on things so the water doesn't penetrate. You put a, uh, an official seal on a document so it's not opened up. Unless it's opened up by the right person. And so also, we are sealed in the Holy Spirit protected. And the Holy Spirit has given us a pledge of our inheritance. There's several metaphors for this. A pledge can be viewed as a down payment. <clears throat> you need to purchase a home? You place a down payment on that home. It's It's your... Earnest um, intention to say, I'm going to buy that home. And that's what God has done with the Holy Spirit, is that we have the Holy Spirit. He's a seal, He's a pledge, and God has promised that one, Steve Brandon, I'm going to purchase him totally someday, but I'm sealing him now, with the Holy Spirit. This is my down payment. And for God to default on me would be to him to default on his down payment, and God never defaults on his down payment. What He makes, He brings to pass. Or another way, the Holy Spirit is like an engagement ring. A young man a young woman are interested in getting married and and an engagement ring is given. This is a promise that says, I intend to marry you. And the wearing of the ring signifies, yes, I'm going to be married. And it's an anticipation for a final consummation of a marriage. And that's exactly the picture of the church in Christ. Jesus has made the down payment, has given the Holy Spirit to us. It's like our, our engagement ring and He promises that He will marry us. And when God makes a promise, He doesn't break it. The Holy Spirit is the pledge of our future inheritance. There'll be a day when we who believe in Christ will be with him, singing, enjoying God and singing to his glory, seeing his glorious grace. In fact, I love Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7, my favorite verse in all the Bible. God saves us by his grace so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Everything that was measured out in the first half of Ephesians 1 we will we'll be testimonies to that grace someday in heaven. And we will say, God, I'm here because of Your grace. And there's nothing in me that did it all. And In fact, that's our, that's our role in heaven. Our role in heaven is to show off God's grace. When God created the world, He could have showed off His holiness. And He did. He could have shown off His righteousness and judging. But the only way He could show off His grace... Is by creating a world in which people fall, and then he, he chooses and he pulls them out and he brings them in solely by his grace. See, These are redeemed sinners which I have forgiven through the blood of Jesus, and forever they give testimony of my grace. Something that didn't take place in the universe before the creation. All right. Are you wet? The waves of God's blessing. And now Paul comes to verse 15. He says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you might understand these things. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. He prays for these people because he knows that they believe in Jesus. And he knows that the realities of verses 3 through 14 are true in their lives. It says here, I've heard of your faith. Uh, I've heard somehow, who knows, through Tychicus perhaps, who's delivering this letter. You know, maybe he told him what's taking place in Ephesus. I'm not sure. Some of Paul's probably in prison. But he heard third hand, I heard of your faith. And I heard of your love. Because your love for all the saints is. Is the expression of their faith. It's not just, I heard that you said you believed. I heard you said some prayer. I, I heard of your faith in Christ and how that's manifests itself in the love for all the saints. And he's so thrilled with the news. Here's a, here are some believers. And he's thrilled that he's praying for them. I mean, the only way that you can, verse 16, do not cease giving thanks for you is if you're so excited about something. Don't you find that? That when you're, when you're excited about something, you... You, you like think about it and you're thankful about it kind of all the time. He was so excited about these people and he was giving thanks. didn't cease all the time while making mention of your prayers. Always praying for these Ephesians. But he's praying here, verse 17, they'd fully realized what happened to them in Christ. Now they were found. They once were lost. And he's trying to say, I want you to know, yes, you've been lost, but, but everything that you have now that you've been found... In the Life of Our Church Body, we had several instances of lost children this week. Maybe you know some of them. There were two. I'll tell the less dramatic one first and then the more dramatic one. First comes from our household. We got tickets to attend the Riverhawks baseball games past Tuesday evening. It was Faith Night or something, and so we got some free tickets and I know some of you went and were there. And um so we're kind of getting ready. Game starts at 7.05, and we're frantically scurrying around our house, like is often the case at the Brandon house, trying to get ready. And we had several other kids with us. Becca, you were there, right? Nathan, you were there, right? You weren't there? Oh, no, you weren't. Becca, you were there. Were you the only one with us? Oh, and Ruthie. We had Ruthie, too. So we had some, some of the REIT children, and we're kind of getting out. We got to pack them in the car and kind of cram them in. I'm driving the big car, driving down the road, and we... You know, we we were up here from our house, up past uh, just turned north on Lyford from State Street. I think it's about maybe five, seven minutes from our house, something like that. And then Steffi from the back of the car says, "What? What'd you say?" She said, "Where's David?" <laughs> like, he's back there with you, right? He wasn't in the car. So I made an illegal U-turn across the double yellow line. I think right up there on Lyford, went around and. And what uh, made matters worse is I remember seeing him outside before we came in. So it's not like we locked him in the house. We l- we locked him out. And, you know, going through my mind, all these kind of scenarios. And um, uh, you know, David likes to play this trick of um, standing outside and ringing the doorbell. I can imagine ringing the doorbell and no one's coming and him crying. and Maybe a neighbor come by. So we turned around. And we're just praying and, and pleading for him. And um, as soon as I... I, I I drove up in the car like instantly, kid, bam, out of there and running around. David, 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 and uh, as I came around, he kind of peeked up from our playset and said, "Ha ha ha!" He started laughing. <laughs> we tried to get it out of him, of, of of what he was doing. I I really think that he was hiding from us. Is what I really think he was doing, because he mentioned something. About, I was in the tower. You know, you're kind of, but but I think he was pretty oblivious to what happened. Uh, he was oblivious to his danger. But you know, when we got him in the car, he was then with us and showed nothing. I don't know what he said. But here's a guy of a of a place where he's a guy who who doesn't understand everything that he's been saved from or saved to. Right? He's just kind of oblivious to it, and he's like, oh, well, whatever. But I think if he'd realized how lost he was and realized then how saved he was, he might act differently. Next time the car's going, he's going to run out and come and get us. Well, that was one story. That's, that's kind of humorous and kind of non, non-eventful. Another one came from the Weebies. Um, this is more dramatic. That's why this one comes second. Thursday, Maggie's taking her three children and Gage out running by YMCA. And uh, as, I, as I think, you know, maybe uh, you all know, but she was, she was walking... Uh, along with her two youngest, um, Noel and Eva. And uh, then Gage was riding his bike, and he'd ride up, and then he'd come back and ride up. And there was one time Maggie said, boy, he's getting pretty far. Next time he comes back, I'm going to tell him to keep closer. Well, they're right about the car, and so they walked to the car and found his bike there, and Gage was gone. And um, his bicycle was there, no sign of him. About five minutes of looking, running. you know, They're doing the same thing. Gage, Gage, are you here? calls Darren, Darren says, call 911. Darren quit work, left work and came uh, to get there within a few minutes or nine squad cars, I think, is on the scene, maybe seven or in the river or one side of the river or the other side of the river just kind of combing it, seeing what they could do. And to make a long story short, the police found Gage. Apparently, he'd gone up, parked his bike, and doubled back. Maggie says he thinks that she went around a building when he went around a building, and he just kept walking and trying to find her. And um, apparently, it's a kind woman... The discerning eye saw what was happening, talked to Gage, got his phone number's address, called, and then a police officer finally came up to, uh, to help out the situation. And, and then Maggie said, Best was the news that came back and says, We found him. She says, That was the best move. But, but from, from losing him to getting him back, it was about 40 minutes, she said. Okay, for us, it was like 7, 10 minutes, who knows. 40 minutes, and just I, I asked Maggie yesterday in music practice. I said how, how'd you do? And she said just really praying and trusting the Lord It was really good. But the point of my illustration is this: what, what do you think about about Gage? Gage somewhat didn't totally realize what was going on, didn't let it show, but uh, there were some things I think he was faced by it a little bit. And and, and I think that the, the the greater the story about how how lost you were and how you're found, you you'll see that and understand of the glories of salvation that you have. And, and we don't know how much Gage and David know about their rescue, but to the extent that you are saved from some great perilous situation, you are always thankful and always cautious the next time you're in a situation. My bet is that Gage, next time they walk there is going to stay real close to Maggie. And Paul's heart here says this, I've heard you believe. i heard you've been rescued from your sin. I want you to know how great your rescue was and how great God's grace was in your rescue and how much better things are now than what you had before. And Paul's longing for their heart is that they might know, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of Him. That's my burden for all of you is to, to know and realize and think about your salvation. So it just explodes your mind. And you're so happy. You're so happy to be home with mom and dad. You're so happy to be home with God in Christ. And you realize how it's all been God's grace in your life. Well, let's pick the prayer apart. Verse 17 is a summary. 18 through 23 are the specifics. And again, I'm just going to run through these just like I ran through chapter 1. We're not looking to dig into any of these. It's just kind of give you an overall scope of things today as we live between two worlds. Paul prays this I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, again, why does he say it this way? He could have just said, I pray you understand. But he prays the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Of course, our hearts don't have eyes. Our hearts have never seen the light of day. Have you ever realized this? Your heart works in perfect darkness. doesn't need light to work. Just lub-dub, lub-dub, lub-dub. Just keeps going. Doesn't have eyes. Doesn't need eyes. What's he talking about here? It's not, it's not talking about light. He's talking about our inner person, right? He's talking about our minds, our wills, and emotions. And our inner being, though, doesn't have eyes either. But we understand what he's talking about, right? The eyes are the windows to the soul. I think what he's talking about there's a little bit like that—an inner man grasping and seeing and discerning and understanding and feeling the realities of every blessing that we have in Christ. Paul's prayer here that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened is a bit like Elisha's prayer. You remember when uh, Elisha was there with his servant and they're surrounded by the Arameans, and his servant is real distraught and worried. He says, "Elisha, they're all around us." Remember what he said? said, Oh God, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And then God opened the servant's eyes and he saw that though the Arameans were surrounding the camp, there was a greater army surrounding the mountains surrounding them as well. And they're perfectly safe. You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 6. Seeing true reality is what Paul is getting at here. I want you to see the true reality. I want you to see the warriors behind there. The chariots of fire all around Elisha. And that's Paul's prayer. I want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. I want the eyes of your heart to to really know, to really be illumined. See, think about this. The problem with the unsaved is that Satan has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the Gospel, the glory of Christ. That's a quote of 2 Corinthians 4.4, that they might not see the light of the Gospel, the glory of Christ. What's, What's our problem as Christians? As believers in Jesus, let me put it this way, our problem is that our eyes are often blinded to see the light of the glories of the Gospel of Christ. Oh, we see the Gospel, but we don't see the glories of the Gospel and that's what Paul is praying here. He's praying that you see how great is your salvation, how great are the glories of the gospel. He gives us three things that he, particularly he's praying for. What's the hope of your calling? He's praying for hope. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? He's praying that you understand riches. Verse 19, what's the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Once you understand power, Great specificity in this prayer. He doesn't say just God open their minds to see specific. He said, "I want them to know hope. I want them to know the riches. I want them to know of your power." Right? Specific things he wants them to know. Let's take them one by one. What's the hope of his calling? Paul wants us to know. God wants us to know what hope we have in Jesus Christ. You watch the news on televisions. Any hope there? Murders and earthquakes and floods and disasters every night. No hope there. You pick up your newspaper. You find hope there? Nope, Cubs still losing. Well, well no hope there. Now same thing. You read the Wall Street Journal. You find hope there? No. Phil? Yeah, long-term hope there is, certainly, but but No. Just BP, oil crisis, you know. You just read of um, China's going down, market's going down, all this kind of stuff. That's what you hear of. Disaster, dollars shrinking. There's no hope in any of these places, but there is hope in heaven. The hope of His calling. Think about the hope of heaven. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is our hope. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. There's no longer any sea, And I saw the Holy Spirit city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God and I heard a voice from heaven from the throne saying behold the tabernacle of God is among men and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them and there'll be no more crying and no more tears and no more weeping and mourning so it says No more weeping or mourning or crying or pain. The first things, that's these things, have passed away. Behold, I'm making all things new, is what He who sits on the throne says. There's hope here. No more medical problems. No more tears. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more broken bones. No more toothaches. No more headaches. No more arthritis. No more disease. Everything is new. Do you like that new smell? Yeah, I hope you do. The smell of new carpet. I was reminded yesterday, Yvonne is working on a little carpet bed for David when we go out to California this summer. And uh, we kind of had some old remnants pushed up and, and she made this thing. It smelled like new carpet. It was like, yeah, I like that smell. You like the smell of new paint? New construction. The the pine sawdust that kinda comes. You smell that? Smells nice. Smell of a new refrigerator, right? You open it up and no stench in there, but just kind of this clean, sterile, plasticky smell. That's the smell of heaven. There's no dirty garbage smell in heaven. We have a garbage can right now that needs desperately some Lysol. Bad. Oh man. None of that. That's all gone. Everything's new. It's like you get a new garbage can every week, right? When they they come to take the garbage away, if there is garbage, they just take the whole can and give you a new can because everything's new. It comes in a new garbage truck so it doesn't stink. The the brakes don't squeak. Ah, You don't hear all that. It's all new. I mean, you just start imagining the hope of our calling. No more marriage problems. No more broken relationships. No more unemployment. No more tragedy. No more car accidents. No more plane crashes. No more tsunamis and earthquakes and fires and tornadoes and hurricanes. That's our hope. It's not Pollyanna. Revelation 21, verse 5 says, He who sits on the throne said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. This is true. This is a hope. Our hope of our calling isn't some wish... It's a solid faith and belief in the the calling. We'll be with God, glorifying God, enjoying Him forever. Do you have a hope? Do you understand your hope? May God give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of Him. Second, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And again, this directs our attention upon the future, this inheritance, this future day when we inherit the kingdom. And in many ways, this is talking just about the riches of heaven. That everything that God inherits is heaven. And the glories of that. And everything that He makes. And you can go to Revelation 21 and read about it and think about it. It's the the heavenly Jerusalem has the glory of God. And then Paul, John begins to describe this heavenly Jerusalem. And what it's like. And he says, the brilliance of the city is like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. Now, I don't know what jasper is, but it's bright. It's crystal clear, is what the whole city is like. It's like, it's like a, a jewel. The whole city is. When describing the city, the walls are made of this jasper jewel. It's clear as glass. No dirt in the walls. No more sandblasting needed. It's just clear as can be. It's like, a, it's like a, this jasper jewel all the way around. When describing the foundation stones, they're all made of different kinds of precious stones. There's there's jasper and and uh, there's sapphire and there's um, onyx and there is beryl, and topaz and sardonyx and emerald and jacinth and amethyst. The, the foundation stones are pearls. For the foundation stones are precious jewels. I mean the, the gates. Each of them are each of the gates are a single pearl. In the ancient mid mid east, I mean gates to cities were 40 feet tall and 15 feet wide. That's a pretty big clam. Makes a big pearl that big. World's record on I didn't look it up, but it's got to be like golf ball size maybe. We're talking 12 of these beautiful pearly gates. The streets of the city, pure gold. In fact, it's so pure, it's like transparent glass. There's the riches, the glory of His inheritance in the saints, but it... But it gets beyond just physical richness. It even talks about the the riches of the glory of His inheritance. There's something glorious about His inheritance. And you know what's glorious about His inheritance? We are. Fully redeemed we are. Spiritual perfect bodies we are. People from every tribe and tongue and people and nation are called into His kingdom in which it says this is God's inheritance. It's everything that God inherits. There's value in people. Far beyond value in things. I mean, the Muslims can build big domes, right? the Dome of the Rock or El and, you know, As I've read, the Dome of the Rock has got like $500 million of gold in the dome. And that's one thing. This may be a, a picture of heaven with the gold, but the whole city is gold like that. But it's another thing when you start redeeming people. How many? You, we all know that, right? Your children are more valuable than your car, than your house. People are. And and God brings us to be with Him. Not that we're lovely in ourselves, but it is the glory of His inheritance, of everything that He inherited for Himself. Thirdly, 19, what is surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe? I just want to read for you D.A. Carson on this passage. Surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. He explains it better than I could. He says this What would you have chosen to describe God's power? Here's Paul wanting to describe God's power. When you think of God's sovereignty, to what does your mind turn? I confess, I'm inclined to think of God's power in creation. He speaks, and the worlds leap into being. He designs the water molecule with its remarkable atomic structure that ensures greater density is achieved at 4 degrees centigrade. And at the freezing point, so that the lakes and rivers freeze not from the bottom up, but from the top down, providing a blanket of ice with water underneath so the fish can survive. I think of God calculating the mathematics of quarks with half-lives in billionths of a second. I think of God designing each star and upholding the universe by his powerful word, I think of the pleasure he takes in the woodpecker with his specifically designed tail feathers that enable it to peck with such force. I marvel at a God who creates emus and cheetahs and the duck billed platypus. His power extends beyond the limits of our imagination. But that's not what Paul turns to. After all, for an omnipotent God, there cannot be degrees of difficulty. Great statement, huh? There is no one act that is most powerful. God does not hunt for the most powerful, the most difficult displays of God's power since such categories are essentially meaningless. Rather, He hunts for the most glorious, the most revealing. As a result, He focuses on three events. He mentions the power exerted when Christ was raised from the dead. He mentions the power displayed in the exalted Christ. And He declares the power exercised by Christ over everything that's what he mentions. It's a great quote, huh? He shows forth his power, not in all the intricacies of creation, but in what he did in Jesus. And you can see it right there in verse 19. I want you to know God gave you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the power of his greatness toward us who believe, in accordance with the working of the strength of his might which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Raising Jesus from the dead to display of God's power, He took a corpse that was badly beaten and bruised and breathed life into it. We celebrate it every Easter, right? The, the raising of Jesus from the dead is a demonstration of God's lovely power. Next one, says, Seated in the heavenly places a display of God's power. God, God rules the universe so He can put anyone in power that He wants. And it says here that Jesus is the one whose head over all, He rules over all things, over every rule and every authority and every power and every dominion, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Any, You name a sovereign and I'll say Jesus is sovereign over that sovereign. Christ rules and reigns over all. But notice in verse 19, this is what's caught me. What's the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? It's, it's toward us. This is, this is not just the power in creation where, you know, as D.A. Carson says, the woodpecker. That, that's not toward us. Paul chose something, I think as it relates to salvation, the power of God is it's directed toward us. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, you'll realize that we are right now raised up with Jesus. We are seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. I don't understand that. Right? But there's a sense where we're, again, between two worlds. right? We're raised up and seated with Jesus though we're here on the earth. And Paul's trying to get us to see how great the glory of our salvation is. And that's the reality of it. Everything that God was for Jesus, He is for us. He was seated above all. He was raised seated above all, and so also we are raised up and seated with all. It's really unfathomable. All right. Now comes down to the big so what. Okay. Then, then all that. I don't know if I've had any application of my message so far. I trust your heart's been blessed though. Have they? I trust they have been. But here's the application. What would be the effect if such a prayer, what would be the effect in your life if such a prayer were answered? What if this prayer was answered? What if God did give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Him? I just let your mind run with that. What would happen? We would be so heavenly minded that we would be awesomely earthly good. That's probably what would happen. We would live more victorious lives. I spent much of this week with some pastors in Second Timothy chapter 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy. And a very interesting. Paul was in prison, um, deserted by all. <laughs> Think about this. Paul says, At "The end of Second Timothy four. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica." And, and then even he speaks here about how they all deserted me. I'm not sure if it's in chapter one or chapter four. I, I, I forget where. Yeah, yeah here. Um, Chapter 1, verse 15 of 2 Timothy. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygellus and Hermogenes. Picture Paul. Paul died about like Jesus died. When Jesus died, he had 12 followers. And they weren't even so faithful. When, when Paul died, he said, all in Asia deserted me. He says, here I am. I'm lonely in my cell. Demas loved the present world. He left me. It's only Luke who's with me. Give me the Bible. Give me the cloaks and the parchment. I'm cold. Give me a cloak. Give me the Bible. I just need, need some help. And yet Paul was not defeated at all. He was so optimistic of the power of the gospel to continue to go and progress. And I think that's what we would be if we lived in the heavenlies as well. We would keep us from sin. We'd strive towards holiness. We'd have a passion for evangelism because we'd see the precipice of where people are. And I do believe that lack of spiritual insight leads to sin. Adam and Eve sinned because they didn't have spiritual insight needed to see beyond the tree. David's failure with sin of Bathsheba was his failure to see the holiness of God and God's loveliness. Israel continued in grumbling and complaining because they failed to understand and grasp God's care for them. They'd seen the plagues, but, but they didn't have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. They just knew on the external. Lack of spiritual insight led to the crucifixion of Christ. Here's an astonishing verse. 1 Corinthians 2.8 If they'd understood God's wisdom, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Lack of spiritual insight brought them into sin. In our lives, it works like this particularly an unbeliever, right? Hey, the truth of God has been revealed, but we want to live something else, so we take the truth of God, suppress it, exchange the truth for a lie, and believe and live the lie, so we walk in our sin. Ephesians, Romans 1.20 speaks about that. But instead, the antidote to sin is looking to Jesus and seeing the realities there. At the end of Hebrews, Hebrews 12 says this, Let us lay aside every encumbrance, and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. There it is. A spiritual reality that helps sustain us. Let's drop the sin. Let's drop the entanglements. That's my aim. That's my heart for you all this morning that God would give to you. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom, and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. So let's pray. Lord, I would pray that You would give us this. I pray You would answer Your prayer, this prayer, that You would open the eyes of our heart to see You, to see You high and lifted up, shining in the light of Your glory. Lord, I pray, even as we sing this song here to close our service, that that would be true of us, that You would open our eyes, open the eyes of our heart, to see You, to give great glory to You. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.